Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. In 2006, John Mayer wrote a song called Belief, and in that song he opined the Iraq War and that his whole premise of the song was that belief really motivates people to action. And regardless of what you think about the Iraq war, John Mayer and his song um, went after the fact that belief moves us to do something. And he had this line in the song that struck me. It said that uh, everyone believes from emptiness to everything. From emptiness to everything. And so whether you believe nothing or you believe that especially when it comes to Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is nothing or you believe that he is everything, those are both beliefs. And those are both things that that cause us to live our lives differently. And in this song in particular with John Mayer, he, he he was frustrated by the fact that belief had led people to do things that he didn't quite agree with. And the thing that is interesting when it comes to belief is, is that belief by definition is trusting something so much it changes your life. There's beliefs that we have. I, I could believe all day long that the Colts will have a great season this next year. Has no bearing on my life. It should have no bearing on your life unless you work for them. There's other beliefs that I have, though, that are really strong, and they should motivate us to do something. And when we say we believe in Jesus, what we just sang about, what we just celebrated, what we've just been talking about for our entire time this morning, that should motivate us to live Differently, And in this series, we spent some time in the book of John, not John Mayer, but the, the gospel writer John. And in John chapter 20, verse 31, we found this verse. I think Pastor John is referenced. There's a lot of Johns going on this morning. Pastor John referenced the apostle John with these words. It says that Jesus performed many other signs and in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may, what? Believe, right, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by what? Believing, believing you may have life in his name. That idea of belief, particularly what we'd like to talk about today, saving belief is something that would continue, that would not just stop there. The gospel writer John mentions the word belief almost 100 times in the 21 chapters. And so this is the the premier discussion that he has is that we are called to believe and that belief should motivate you and inspire you to go out and live differently. The problem with belief is, especially when it comes to Jesus, right? If you remember the great broadcaster, Larry King, they said, Larry, if you could interview anybody, who would it be? And he said, I'd want to interview Jesus. And they said, why? He said, I'd ask him if he came back from the dead. And he said, if he came back from the dead, it changes everything. Well, we know that, right? Very few people would dispute the fact that Jesus was on this earth They do dispute whether he came back from the dead, but that belief would change everything. And so when we look at belief, there's two types of belief around Jesus. First off is belief of Jesus versus belief in Jesus. We know that the demons believe, have a belief of Jesus, but that doesn't change the way that they live, right? And so behind me, you'll see this quick chart. I like charts. Um, Belief of Jesus puts him on par with any other figure in history. But belief in Jesus sets him far above anyone else. Belief of Jesus says that he's a good man. 
But belief in Jesus says that he's the son of God. Belief of Jesus says he died an untimely death. The guy was only 33. It was a bad day. He paid the price for your sin and for mine. Belief of Jesus is somebody whose ideals we should live by or aspire to. But belief in Jesus is the only way to be right with God. And then uh, belief of Jesus leads us to the last one, which is no real impact to your daily life, right? He's a good moral teacher, but belief in Jesus, he completely changes your life. And if your life has not been completely changed, you may want to ask the hard and difficult question today of do you really believe in Jesus? Well, if you remember the story that we've looked at the past couple of weeks, Peter denies Jesus, right? Jesus goes to the cross and pays for our sins. Jesus appears after the resurrection to many people. Thomas, last week we looked at his doubts, and Jesus left him with the statement, stop doubting and believe. And it's as if John wraps up his gospel when he gives verse 30 and 31, where he says that many other things were written so that you would believe. And then it's like he, he just said, like, oh, wait, there's one more thing you got to know. There's one more thing you want to know. And the epilogue to John's gospel is found in John chapter 21. And I love it because for some reason God wanted us to see this last account of what was happening around Jesus and the disciples. And if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21. We're going to look at the first 14 verses quickly this morning. And in John chapter 21, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. That's our gift to you. But in John chapter 21 and verse 1, it says, afterwards, so this is after the time with Thomas, after the resurrection, after the death on the cross, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even so, the net was not torn. Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to him, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that he appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. In John chapter 21, we pick up the story after Thomas had been told to stop doubting and believe, and it says afterwards. Jesus, we know the account in early or the later part of Matthew, told the disciples, go wait for me in Galilee, and he had a specific mountain in mind. Now, Jesus often taught on one particular mountain in Galilee. It was where the Beatitudes, he talked about that. It was the Sermon on the Mount. All of that happened on that mount. And Jesus told the disciples, go and wait on that mountain. Well, apparently, the disciples took two groups. The first seven we find right here. We don't know what happened to the other ones, whether they took a break on the way there. But Peter, Nathaniel, 
and some of the other guys, they go up, and they're supposed to go to the mountain. That's what they're told to do. Go wait on that mountain. And for whatever reason, they didn't. And we find in verse 3 that the reason that they didn't is they, they, they said, well, they must have got bored. Because in verse 3, it says that Peter said, well, I'm going to go out and fish. He, you know Peter, he was an impulsive guy. He loved to do things. He didn't want to sit and wait for anything. And so apparently they got tired of waiting, and he goes, I'm going to go out and fish. And not only did he say, I'm going to go fish, I'm going to take everybody with me. And so the seven of them go out and fish. They're tired of waiting for Jesus to meet them on the mountainside. And so they go out, and they go back to what they knew how to do. Now keep in mind, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus had appeared to him, but there had never really been a restoration of that, that friendship and the relationship that they had yet. It's coming, but in the meantime, Peter sulks and kind of holds to himself and decides he's going to go back to the one thing that he knows how to do, and that's he's going to go fishing. Now, there's not a problem with fishing, but every single one of us at one time or another has gone fishing in regards to our relationship with the Lord. We've blown it. We failed. We didn't live up to what we thought we were going to do, and so we check out mentally, and we check out spiritually, and we go fishing like Peter did. Right? He was like, I'm tired of waiting. We aren't going to wait anymore. Well, let's go fishing. It's interesting. Peter swings between belief and doubt and even times unbelief, and it's interesting with Peter because he was one of the first ones to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, but he was also the one that denied him three times. So if you feel like you're struggling in your relationship with God this morning, there's hope. If you feel like you can't quite believe him for everything that he's promised, there's hope today. Because Peter goes out fishing. He went back to what he knew. And it's interesting that he took the other guys with him. Everybody's like, yeah, I guess we, since we're not waiting, we'll just go down and fish. What's really interesting is, is when we have a better understanding of belief, and a better understanding of what Jesus has done for us, it changes the way that we live. Uh, here's one way to think about it. What you believe dictates how you live. What you believe dictates how you live. If Peter really believed the right things about Jesus, he would have not went back to fishing. He would have waited. But he didn't. And if we're honest this morning, you and I don't. We go fishing. Because we don't believe the right things about the gospel. We don't believe the right things about forgiveness. We don't believe the right things about how much God loves us. And so today I want to help you understand and remind you again of how much God loves you. And how much he is willing to forgive you. And when you understand and believe those things, it dictates how you live. You will not go fishing. You will go out and live the life that you're supposed to do. Because it's not if you screw up, but when you screw up right? It's not if, but when. And so here's a practical example of why this is so important. Peter had been confronted with Jesus after the resurrection. He knew that he blew it, and he sulked back. He went fishing. He went back to what he knew as opposed to what he was told to do. We've got to get better at forgiving ourselves, and we've got to get better at understanding forgiveness. This is what I mean by this. Um, my, I happen to, on occasion, two to three hundred times, um, raise my voice to my kids. And I know none of you do that. It might even be called yelling at times. 
by some accounts. I went and apologized to my daughter yesterday and a couple weeks ago and a month before that and said, hey, daddy is so sorry. He should not have done that. That is not what Jesus has called daddy to do. He's called to love you. And, and I'm going through this whole spiel. Hey, will you please forgive daddy? The response was, yep. Can I go play? Right? If we really understand the gospel, if we really understand forgiveness, we shouldn't be like Peter who checks out and goes fishing. We should understand that our sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west. They've been put on the bottom of the ocean floor, and he remembers them no more. Now, that doesn't mean there's not consequences to your sin, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't have sorrow for your sin, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't repent and turn and do all of the things that we know we should do. But for those of you who are held back because you think you've screwed up and that God could never use you again, can I tell you today to quit fishing and go back to what God's called you to do? And if you believe that, it dictates how you will live. We've got to get better at forgiveness. Jesus is great at forgiveness. We're not very good at it. Peter was not very good at it. And he was busy sulking and just keeping to himself. And I love that Jesus goes and finds him. Take a look at verse four and five. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to him, friends, haven't you any fish? Now, it could have been because there was a distance, 100 yards. It could have been because there was darkness. It could have been there was fog on the lake. It could have been that they didn't have great eyesight. Who knows? We know that Jesus, after the resurrection, had a glorified body, which you all should be looking forward to um, because it will be better, right? We know he walked through walls. We know he could appear at places anytime he wanted to. And so it could have been that Jesus hid himself, but they didn't see him. And they had been out all night long. They're tired. They're hungry. They're probably wet. They'd been out all night. And Jesus called to, to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Now, I would not have used the words friends, or a better translation would be children. I would have been, hey, idiots, remember me, or um, thanks for sticking me in the back. I mean, that would have been my response. But Jesus comes to them, and he says, friends, haven't you any fish? Children, haven't you any fish? And they've been out all night, they're tired. The people who had betrayed them, though, he went and found them. And he stands on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I love the fact that we don't have any record that Jesus rebuked them for not going to the mountain. I mean, that's what I would have done if I was Jesus. Like, gave you one simple order, and you, you screwed that up, right? But he didn't rebuke them. Here's what you need to be reminded of today is that Jesus meets us where we are. And he asked them, hey, don't you have any fish? No, they answered. He wanted to help them realize their futility. He wanted them to see that he was right there with them. I love that he went to pursue them and he pursues you and I each and every single day. Jesus will meet you where you're at. He goes on in verse 6 to say, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of such a large number of fish. Now, at this time, they don't know it's Jesus. But they'd been out all night and they were frustrated. And if you've ever been fishing before, some of you all in the room will know this, right? You just, you'll try anything after a while, right? You'll, you'll switch bait. You'll, you'll, you'll try anything because it's been a hard day and you can't catch anything. And so somebody calls from the shore and says, throw it on the right side of the boat. I don't know what motivated them to do that. My guess is they were so tired and frustrated and just worn out, they're just like, okay, we'll try over here. And sometimes, unfortunately, 
We've got to get to that place too where we're so dejected and we're so worn out and we're so upset because at that point, that's when we're willing to listen to what God might have for us. That's when we're willing to believe. And so he, I also love the fact that if you remember when Jesus called these guys, it was like the same situation. Remember when Jesus first called him and he said, look, I'm gonna make you what? Fishers of men. And the last recorded account that we have with these guys, Jesus brings them back to a fishing trip to help them understand one more time. We're not fishing for fish, we're fishing for men. And that's what you'll spend the rest of your lives doing. And they were so desperate that they listened. They obeyed and God blessed. You see, God's provision is based upon his goodness, not our performance, because these guys' performance was terrible. Right? Think about their performance over the past 20 days. Hey, just stay awake with me in the garden and, and pray with me. And what they do? They all fell asleep. Hey, just walk alongside me and wait, right? No, they were, they failed. Hey, go wait on this mountain up in Galilee and I'll be there. They failed. They weren't there at the cross. They weren't there when, they, when he needed them the most. And so they failed over and over and over again and God literally walks onto the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he provides everything they need. He provides the fish for them. Now, there's a whole lot of other problems going on here, right? They've still, they've still messed up, and he hasn't addressed that. They've, they've failed him multiple times, and he doesn't address that. And he provides immediately for what they need. Here's the thing. God's provision is based upon his goodness and not our performance, and that's called grace. And it's true for every single thing in your life. It's true for salvation, right? You don't, you're not going to perform well enough to get that figured out. It's true about everything that you need in your life and all of the wants that you have in your life. Anything that you have from God is based on his goodness, not your performance. Verse seven and eight records that then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped out his outer garment for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. And then the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. If you've ever seen the movie Forrest Gump, if you remember uh, in the movie Forrest Gump when Forrest is on the shrimp boat and he sees Lieutenant Dan off in the distance on the dock and he's on the front of the boat and he just jumps off as soon as he realizes it's Lieutenant. That's kind of the picture I have. And if you remember, the shrimp boat goes and just plows into the next dock, but Forrest is there to see it, Lieutenant Dan, right? That's how excited. Peter goes from, I'm gonna go fishing, to all out jumping into the water because he realizes it's Jesus. And so while it's quick to, to note that Peter has a lot of problems that we all have, Peter also was the first to, to do something when he saw the Lord, right? John's like, John's always the first to discern. Peter's always the first to act. John goes, it's the Lord, and Peter doesn't waste any time. He just jumps off and goes to find and be near the Lord. So John records that Peter goes and jumps right out of the boat to follow him. The other ones come to shore. And in verse nine, it says, when they were not far from shore, they, they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, and they had a fire with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, bring to him some of the fish that you have just caught. You see, Jesus was waiting on the shore for them even when they didn't realize it. And Jesus is waiting for you. If you've ran away from God, if you've pulled away, if you've went fishing, so to speak, he's waiting for you. It says in the text that when they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it. Where on earth did the fish come from? 
Did Jesus show up early and catch those and then bring them in? Did he just shazam those down to the fire? I mean, this is the second to last recorded miracle we have that Jesus just, voila, there's fish ready to go. A great reminder that he has provided exactly what we need. But I also love the reminder here that, that it really was Jesus that caught the fish, right? Because it says in verse 9, it says that there was the fire and there was some bread. And then Jesus said to them a really interesting statement. Remember, John's entire purpose that the whole book is so that you would believe. And Jesus said to him, bring some of the fish you have just caught. This is interesting because we bring things to the Lord all the time and he uses them. He had provided fish on the fire. And for some reason, it's not like Jesus was like, well, I only brought three today and when you really needed five, bring in your extras. Here's what we can take from this. God doesn't need what we bring, he wants it. Right? He didn't need more fish that day, but he allows the disciples, right? They, they didn't even catch the fish, really. It was him that told them to, to throw their net on the right side of the boat. So it's God that told them to go do something. They obeyed and he blessed it. It was God who brought the fish and set them on the fire, and it was God who allowed them to bring those in, and that is the story of your life and of my life. The gifts you have, the abilities you have, you've been given those, but you you did nothing to do that. The salvation we enjoy, we did nothing to do that. And so it's important to note today that God doesn't need what you have. He doesn't need what we bring. He wants it, and he wants you. So Simon, <clears throat> verse 11, climbs back into the boat, drags the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, about 153. But even so, the net was not torn. Many people have debated over the years what the 153 is significant for. I think John just recorded it because he was observing what happened. Oftentimes when fishermen would come together, fishermen today do this. They split up their fish so everybody can see them. They take a picture, right? They split them up between whoever many people were on the boat, and they did this. There's been people before that said, well, 153 represents how many ways God loves you. God loves you so much more than 153 ways. So... Be careful, I don't think the number really has any significance other than there was 153 of them, and the net didn't break. So there was an abundance that, that Jesus had given them. God blessed them with more, even in spite of their lack of belief. And then verse 12 and 13, Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to him, and did the same with the fish. It's interesting, the last recorded meal we had, Jesus served them. Right? Last supper, Jesus serves them. The first breakfast, Jesus serves them. And something changed in these disciples. They went from the group of people that were cowered in a room. They went from the group of people who denied Jesus. They went from the group of people that, that wanted nothing to do with the recognition that Jesus was their leader. And something flipped this day on the beach in Galilee. Because we know that every single one of these guys, according to church history, was then martyred for their faith. And I believe that Jesus gave them what they needed that day. He served them, he, he gave them the fish, but it's so much bigger than the fish. And he gave them exactly what they would need. He would go on to reinstate Peter and to, to clarify their future. And something changed that day in the hearts and minds of the disciples. And I think if they didn't have it before, that their belief was strengthened that day on the beach. 
that their belief was strengthened that day on the beach. And I think hopefully it will strengthen our faith today. I think one of their last memories would be this service that he gave to them that day. And these, these uh, verses record that Jesus did these things for them. And then the next thing we have recorded is they go out and they change the world. In the last verse, it says, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He, he appeared in different places at different times to different people to almost 500 people after his resurrection. You'll be hard-pressed to find anyone because there's so much historical proof that Jesus did not end up on this planet. You'll be hard-pressed to find somebody who say Jesus didn't exist on this planet. But the question is not necessarily just did he exist. It's what are you going to do with Jesus? In the following verses, verse 15 down through the end of the book, like I said, he reinstates Peter and he clarifies their future. But in verse 25, John records a really interesting verse. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the, even the whole world would not be able to contain the books that would be written. We get glimpses of what happened. But they were given so that you would believe. And when you believe the right things about God, when you believe the right things about Jesus and, and the truth of the gospel and, and the power of forgiveness and how much he really loves you, when you believe those things, it dictates how you live. And so as you think about that today, I've got a couple questions for you just as you uh, wrap up our time, as we wrap up our time here this morning. Maybe you don't believe in Jesus. And I would just ask you the question, what else does Jesus need to do for you to believe? What else? John says that there were so many things that he did, we couldn't write them down in all the books. He came back from the dead. He appeared to over 500 people. What else does he need to do for you to believe? Because let me tell you something today. He's taking care of your biggest problem, and that is your sin. I know you think your biggest problem is your marriage. I know you think your biggest problem is your kids or the boyfriend or girlfriend you want or the better job that you think you need. I know that's what you think your biggest problem is. But your biggest problem has been taken care of. And so if that's the case, that frees us up. It doesn't mean we can't strive for a better marriage or a better job. Or, it doesn't mean any of that. But it helps us have a better recognition. It helps us believe the right things about God. If you're stuck like Peter and he was kind of in between belief and doubt, right? That's why he went fishing in the first place. If you're stuck like that, can I just remind you to pray this, this really simple prayer? I believe Help me overcome my unbelief. Right, we know in Mark chapter 9, that's what the guy said. That there, was a, there was a kid who was really struggling. He had a demon possessed, and the disciples were like, we can't figure this out. And Jesus tells them, this only can come out by prayer. And they're like, wow, we don't know if we can handle that. And then he asked the father, do you believe? And he says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Remember that story? If you're struggling to believe Jesus for all of the things that he is and what he represents today, can I just encourage you to pray that really simple prayer? I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief because what you believe dictates how you live. You see, we've been sold some lies from the devil that first we could believe in Jesus and not change our lives. We've been sold some lies from the devil that you could believe in Jesus, but it really doesn't have to change anything else. We've been sold the lie that you can believe in Jesus, but he doesn't really have everything planned out for your life. But what we believe about Jesus should dictate how we live. 
The other thing that, at least in this service, we won't have the chance to see today is every time somebody believed in Jesus in the New Testament, after they believed in him, they went on and they were baptized. And we're excited this morning in the second service. Lizzie Raleigh is going to be baptized today. And uh, excited to hear what God has been doing in her life and is a part of that. But her belief dictates how she lives now. Right? Nobody ever walks past the baptismal up here and is like, that seems like fun. Let's go do that, right? But there was a belief that Jesus said, go throughout all of the world. And, and that's the commission that we've been given is to help people understand that they need him, to encourage them to believe in him, and then to be baptized to do that. And so I don't know where you're at today, but let me just tell you a couple things. If you've never taken the steps to believe in Jesus, I'd encourage you to do that today. And if you've never had the opportunity to, to show the world your belief, I would encourage you to get baptized. You can go to our website and click on it. There's a place there that you can sign up for that. But for a lot of us, we're probably, probably in this space like Peter that we're just ready to go fishing. Just, just, I don't know, God, just ready to go fishing. And I would just encourage you today to pray that prayer. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have today to be reminded from your word that, Father, if we really believe in you, like we say we do, like we sing we do, like we would claim to, that, Father, that's got to dictate how we live. And so, God, we know we're not perfect in that. Thank you that you're a better forgiver than we are sinners. Father, we know that we need your help, and we cry out to you today and say we do believe, but help us overcome our unbelief. Father, we're thankful for your word that we have that gives us so many promises and so many examples of the reasons why we can trust you. Father, for those in this room who are struggling to trust you today, God, I pray that you would do what you did for Peter. That, God, that you would help them to see your goodness and love, that you would clarify their future and remind them always that you're in control. Father, thank you for the chance to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.